0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Jacob, Blessed by God and Limping Ever After, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, October the 21st, 2007. Jacob was a man on the run. He had his reasons. Chronistic, chronic dysfunctions and deep hostilities characterize Jacob's family history. Because his parents, Isaac and Rebecca, played favorites, he and his fraternal twin Esau grew up hating each other. Jacob also swindled Esau out of his family birthright, which entitled him to a double share of the family inheritance. Later, he and his mother lied to swindle the family blessing from his blind and dying father. When Esau threatened to murder him, Jacob fled to his uncle Laban in Haran, the very place his grandfather Abraham had departed. There he married his cousins, Rachel and Leah, and eventually fathered 13 children with them and his two slaves, Zilpah and Billah. Sick and tired of his father-in-law's manipulations, Jacob fled Laban only to encounter his long-lost and embittered brother Esau. The consummate deal-maker, Jacob concocted a bribe and sent a caravan of gifts along with his women and children across the Jabbok River. Maybe they would pacify His brother's murderous threats. Physically exhausted and deeply anxious about Esau, alone in the isolated wilderness, shorn of all his worldly possessions, at long last powerless to control his fate, Jacob collapsed into a deep sleep on the banks of the Jabbok River. With Laban behind him, and Esau in front of him, he was too spent to struggle any longer. Darkness descended. Only then did his real struggle begin. Fleeing his family history had been bad enough. Wrestling with God was a different matter altogether. That long and lonely night an angelic stranger visited Jacob. They wrestled through the night hours until daybreak, at which point the stranger crippled Jacob with a blow to his hip that disabled him with a limp for the rest of his life. By then Jacob knew what had happened, declaring in Genesis 32, verse 30, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. When it was over, the deceiver for such is the meaning of Jacob in Hebrew received a new name, Israel, which means he struggles with God, most important and paradoxical of all at the at the conclusion of that riverbank struggle, God we read in genesis thirty two twenty nine blessed Jacob there. Yes, God blessed the deceiver. Who wrestled in the darkness. In our culture, and even in our churches, the myths of superwoman and superman live large. The columnist David Brooks of the New York Times calls this the Achievatron Syndrome in his book, On Paradise Drive. We celebrate wealth, power, strength, bravado, confidence, prestige, and victory beginning with Little League Baseball for our kids, and continuing right on through their SAT scores, college admissions, first job, and first address. On the other hand, we abhor and fear weakness, failure, struggle, and doubt. Even though we know that a measure of vulnerability, fear, discouragement, and depression accompany many normal lives, we construe these as signs of failure, or even a lack of faith. In real life, naive optimism and the rosy rhetoric about the achievatron are a recipe for disappointment and discouragement, for sooner or later, reality catches up with most of us. Jacob jerks us back to reality. In her book, Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope, The Benedictine nun and writer Joan Chittister uses this Jacob story as a paradigm for what she calls a spirituality of struggle. In Jacob's story, she identifies eight elements of the human struggle. Change, isolation, darkness, fear, powerlessness, vulnerability, exhaustion, and scarring. But God doesn't leave us there, says Chidester, and in each human struggle she finds a corresponding divine gift. Conversion, independence, faith, courage, surrender, limitations, endurance, and transformation. Jacob does what all of us must do, writes Chidester, if in the end we too are to become true. He confronts in himself the things that are wounding him, admits his limitations, accepts his situation, rejoins the world, and then moves on. The end result of the nocturnal struggle for this greedy polygamist cheater and liar was that God blessed him Genesis thirty two twenty nine. God blessed Jacob there. When you read further in Jacob's story, these twin themes of dark struggles accompanied by divine blessing continue to be intertwined. Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped. Two of his sons Reuben and Judah committed incest. As if to mimic his own parents who favored him over his twin brother Esau, Jacob played favorites with his own son Joseph sowing seeds of enmity for generations to come. And yet God renewed the covenant with Jacob. We read in Genesis 35 9 God appeared to him again and blessed him. Late in life Jacob reminisced in Genesis 48 verse 3 God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and there God blessed me. Contrary to cultural assumptions about the Achievatron, the human struggle is never easy, and certainly not the struggle with God himself. But the struggle is never devoid of divine presence, and even, as Jacob shows us, divine blessing. In his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis reminds us that the divine human struggle is neither tidy nor tame, but it's still one we can embrace with confidence. Susan and Lucy ask Mr. and Mrs. Beaver to describe Aslan, Lewis's rep- representation of Jesus. They asked if Aslan is a man. Mr. Beaver replies, Aslan, a man? certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who was the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jacob's struggle at the river Jabbok reminds us that God is so very good, but he's not safe. We may struggle with him through the night, but by daybreak he only intends to bless us. And now for further reflection In the new book called Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light, Mother Teresa's correspondence documents her 50-year struggle with darkness and doubts, with what she calls the absence of God's presence. If I ever become a saint, she wrote, I will surely be one of darkness. I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those in darkness on earth. What has been your own experience of the so-called dark night of the soul? Consider Paul in 2 Corinthians 7.5 who wrote that he was, harassed at every turn, conflicts without, fears within. And finally, Frederick Beekner characterizes Jacob's divine encounter at the River Jabbok as, quote, the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. What might Beekner mean? For books this week, I review Brian Steidl, The Devil Came on Horseback, bearing witness to the genocide in Darfur, New York Public Affairs, 2007, 230 pages. After four years as a captain in the Marines, in September 2004, Brian Steidel moved to Darfur in western Sudan, where he joined an international team from the African Union to monitor the unfolding tragedy where Arab Muslims kill African Muslims because the Africans are too black. Their team was unarmed and officially impartial to all sides. Their duty, he says, was to, quote, observe, inquire, and write reports, end quote. Although by the end of his stint, Steidl realized that of the 80 reports his team wrote, only four reached the American embassy by normal channels. When he left six months later, he had assembled a comprehensive documentation of the Darfur genocide, including a photo archive of 3,000 pictures, 20 of which are included in the book, an audio journal he made on an MP3 player, personal notes, emails, and intelligence collected from about 30 NGOs. Steidel's book has been criticized for its lack of analysis of cultural, political, and economic incidences, but still his book is an eyewitness account of the horrors he documented on a daily basis. Children who had been shackled together, raped, and then burned alive. Gang rape of women and girls of all ages. Grotesque dismemberment of victims the total burning of dozens of villages, the bulldozing of camps for the internally displaced victims, starvation, mass graves, jets and helicopter gunships slaughtering civilians, and endless cases of pillage and plunder. Welcome to hell, one of his colleagues said when he first arrived. Estimates vary, but about 300,000 to 500,000 black African Muslims have been killed by the Sudanese government, both army and police, and the Janjaweed militia that they've funded, trained, complete with graduation exercises, armed, and closely collaborated with in in attacks. Another 2 to 3 million people have been internally displaced. One of the most chilling pieces of evidence in Steidel's book, if anyone needed more evidence, is a government document specifying the steps they were taking to execute an official policy of ethnic cleansing. Most disheartening of all, Steidel understood that the Sudanese government knew that it could continue the genocide unabated because the international community would do nothing at all Violence has spilled over into neighboring Chad and also threatened NGO and humanitarian workers. And in one final note, in addition to this book, Steidel has made a film that was released in the summer of 2007. For that, go to www.thedevilcameonhorseback.com Brian Steidel The Devil Came on Horseback, bearing witness to the genocide in Darfur. For film this week, I review Rescue Dawn from the year 2007. In 1997, Werner Herzog made a documentary of the story of Dieter Dengler, who lived from 1938 to 2001. The title of the documentary was called Little Dieter Needs to Fly. This time around Herzog dramatizes one of the greatest ever survivor's tales. Dieter Dengler was 18 when he left his home in Germany for the United States with one mission in mind to fly for the American military. And so it was. On February the 1st 1966 He took enemy fire and crash-landed his airplane in Laos while on a secret mission. After surviving in the jungle on his own, he was captured and tortured, then taken to the Patet Lao prison camp. There he met other POWs, then escaped after they overheard the guards say that they planned to shoot them. The fellow POWs were separated after the escape and Dengler and his buddy Dwayne Martin teamed up. Martin was eventually beheaded by villagers, but Dengler was rescued after improbably surviving the dense jungle. I love this movie so much that I later read the book. Dengler tells his own story in his own words in the book called Escape from Laos, published in 1979 documentary film, Rescue Dawn. And finally, for poetry, we've posted a poem by Phyllis Wheatley, who lived from 1753 to 1784. Phyllis Wheatley's first and only book of poetry, a compilation of 39 poems, was entitled Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral. 1773. She was the first African-American to publish a book of poetry, and the first woman of any race to publish a book in America. She died in Boston in extreme poverty at the age of 31. The title of this poem is called On Virtue. O thou bright jewel, in my aim I strive To comprehend thee, thine own words declare, Wisdom is higher than a fool can reach. I cease to wonder, and no more attempt thine height explore, Or fathom thy profound. But O my soul, sink not into despair, Virtue is near thee, and with gentle hand would now embrace thee hovers o'er thine head. Fain would the heaven-born soul with her converse, then seek, then court her for her promised bliss. Auspicious queen, thine heavenly pinions spread, and lead celestial chastity along. Lo, now her sacred retinue descends, arrayed in glory from the orbs above. Attend me, virtue, through my youthful years, O leave me not to the false joys of time. But guide my steps to endless life and bliss. Greatness or goodness, say what I shall call thee, to give me a higher appellation still. Teach me a better strain, a nobler lay, O thou enthroned with cherubs in the realms of day. Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, October 21st, 2007, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.